Kia ora BBC. My name is Crystal Turner and I have the privilege of sharing with you tonight. I've been part of BBC for the past four years and so it really is a blessing to be here. If you are new with us tonight, a huge welcome to you. You know, I just love this church. This church is home, so Heidi Mai, come on in. And if you're um, a regular, thanks for making it out on your Sunday night. And um, it really is an honor to be sharing with you. A little bit about me. I am a year seven teacher at Bethlehem College. And I just love my job. I love my class. I love my colleagues. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, and I love talking, which I'm going to be doing a lot of tonight. So we'll get straight into it. Um, I'm the eldest of six. So that pretty much just means I've had the pleasure of watching my five younger siblings, one by one by one by one by one, slowly get to do everything that I was never able to do. Um, <laughs> if you're an older sibling, I'm sure you can relate. Speaking of siblings, if you were here last week, you would have heard my awesome brother, Liam Turner, open up the Seek First series. Liam led us with a teaching from Matthew 5, where he talked about how we are called to be salt and light so that people can taste and see Christ in us. This week, we're continuing with the start of Matthew 6, which is also known as the Lord's Prayer. Before we continue, let us open in prayer. Loving Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Please bless us as we open your word tonight. Please attune our hearts to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned before that I'm an intermediate teacher and a question I often get asked is, are your students taller than you? <laughs> now, if you had asked me this question mid last term, guaranteed I would have looked you in the face and with utter confidence said, some of them are, but I'm definitely taller than at least half of my class. And I would have said this with a sense of pride as if it's actually an accomplishment to be taller than a 12 year old. <laughs> But you see, I've always had this idea in my head that I'm taller than I am. Once I was in the grocery store and I wanted to get something for a lady, it was on the top shelf, and it really just resulted in us both awkwardly jumping up and down in the aisle. <laughs> anyway, last term, my class had to do a statistics project and they had to measure their heights. And I was abruptly confused. I was like, what is this? I'm 148 centimetres. You're 155 centimetres. Something here is not adding up. And maybe it was the heels or the boots or the fact that they're usually sitting at desks that threw me off. At least I'm hoping that's what it was because otherwise I really shouldn't be teaching math. <laughs> but maybe you found yourself in a similar situation to me. Not being shorter than a 12-year-old, um, but holding something else's truth and kind of being abruptly corrected. One thing that struck me was how easy it is to think of something and hold it as truth without actually taking the time to fact check. Or in my case, literally measure it against the source of truth, being a tape measure. <laughs> and how easy is it to do this with scripture? If you've grown up in the church, or even if you haven't, we often have these ideas that we accumulate of what the Bible says. And sometimes these ideas, we need to appraise against the truth of God before we continue to hold them. This is where I found myself before deeply studying the Lord's Prayer. I understood it to be a beautiful model of how the Lord tells the disciples to pray. However, I've learned that it is something so much deeper than this. 
As we read together tonight, we will see the Lord's Prayer as something much more intimate and personal, as Christ invites us into relationship with the Father. So let us read together, starting with the verses leading up to the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Ask him. You know, this verse starts off with telling us exactly what not to do. Oops. This verse starts off telling us exactly what not to do. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. You see, the hypocrites and the teachers of the law were people that would stand in the synagogues and at the street corners, loudly praying and declaring their knowledge, being like, holy, holy am I. (laughs) Essentially saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And as humans, we all have this innate desire, well, I know at least I do, to say, look at me. If you go to a park on a busy day, guaranteed you will find some child screaming at their parent, mom, dad, look at me, look at me. Look at me. And when we translate this attitude to prayer, it doesn't quite fit. And while we wouldn't likely see people loudly, you know, praying at the entrance of BBC for attention, sometimes there are other ways that we can say, look at me in our lives. It might be that we're doing a Bible study and we think we need to Instagram it and find the most holy song we can. (laughs) Not that I'm saying you can't do that. (laughs) But God does not desire insincere and superficial prayer. You know, it's not something that we do that is external. On the street corners, oh, I think I'm, yeah, there we are. On the street corners to be seen by others. It is something much more internal which leads us into our next verse. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when I was preparing this message, you know, I I was trying to do what it said. So I went into my room and I closed the door. I kneeled on the floor. I was like, Jesus, I will take carpet burn for you. (laughs) I was committed. (laughs) But I was about one minute into into praying and then I heard it. Bing. And at first I ignored it and I continued with my prayer. Lord, help me to just hear your voice. Bing. Lord, please help me be alone with you right now. Bing. And you know, by the third time, I honestly felt him call me out. I heard him loud and clear. He was like, Crystal, With your phone in the room, you're not actually alone with me right now. So I went over to take my phone out. And, you know, I really wanted to look. I just wanted to see what group chat was going off. And, you know, I resisted the temptation, but but it was there. So I took my phone out of the room. I came back in. 
And I sat and I felt that there was silence. And I felt God say, yeah, now you are alone with me. But I know we've all experienced at some point, you know, someone having their phone and we're trying to talk to them and they're like, sorry, just one second. Or, you know, perhaps they're not even acknowledging you at all and they're just using their phone. Like, imagine doing that to the creator of the universe. Like, hold up, Jesus. Uber Eats has a special. Doesn't, doesn't quite work. And, you know, we live in a world that is vying for our attention every minute of every day with our phones, our emails, our work computers, but we weren't made to be accessible to everyone at every moment. Hence why we are surrounded by people, hence why people are surrounded by people and still feel so alone. What we were made to do is be alone in communion with God. Jesus knew firsthand the benefits of being alone with the Father. He frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. You know, so practically for us, closing the door might actually look like closing the phone. Jesus stepped away from the crowds, away from the noise, so that he could commune with his Father. Because his Father was his source of strength. His Father was his source of life. Unlike the rabbis or the teachers of the law that we looked at before, who used prayer for their own attention or for prestige, He saw it as something much more intimate and personal. And God wants this kind of relationship with us. Verse 7 continues, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. A pagan or Gentile described the other cultures who didn't believe in the Jewish God. They had long rituals and prayers where they would go for hours and hours reciting over and over. Some faiths even had them cut themselves as they prayed to their gods. God makes it very clear, saying, do not be like them. Do not pray for show, but pray for relationship. Here Jesus is saying that prayer is a posture of the heart, a personal, relational and intimate meeting place with our Heavenly Father. And while it's important to acknowledge, you know, there is definitely power in communal prayer where two or three are gathered, there He is in the midst. In the very first example He gives us, He makes it abundantly clear that there is immense power in personal prayer between me and God and you and God. And this invitation um, to relationship is seen in the first two words of the Lord's Prayer as we go into that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. The significance of these two words here is extremely powerful. Jehokim Jeremias, a well-known German theologian, has done extensive research on the prayers of the ancient Israelite people. And he's concluded that there's not a single example in Jewish literature where anyone directly addresses God as Father until the 10th century AD. People spoke about the fatherhood of God, how Israel was his child, and, you know, there was a fatherhood happening there. 
but they never directly addressed God as Father in their prayers. It was just not done. Yet in the New Testament, there is a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus Christ. And in all the prayers he prayed, aside from one, he directly addresses God as Father. Extending this relationship to include us. When the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. He starts with our Father. Theologian Robert C. Sproul states, he has adopted us into his family and made us coheres with his only begotten. Theologian Robert C. Sproul states, when you pray, you say, our Father, he has given us the right and privilege to come into the presence and majesty of God and address him as Father because he is indeed our Father. He has adopted us into his family and made us coheres with his only begotten Son. An invitation into relationship. One of my fondest memories with my father um, was going to the beach when I was younger. And um, we would walk down, and this was in Maraitai, and, you know, he'd come back from work and we'd walk down and we'd go to the beach together. And, you know, father to me means someone, you know, who's there for you, someone who loves you and someone who cares for you and someone who's not going to let you down. And I don't know what the word father conjures up for you. And I'm sorry if that's been hurtful for you. I'm sorry if that's something that's a bit different um, or difficult. But we are invited into relationship with our Heavenly Father, the perfect Father. And this is where I felt God shift my perspective of the Lord's Prayer into not just a memorised prayer, but to see it as a radical invitation to step into relationship with Him. And, you know, think of when you receive like a wedding invitation, how special and valued you feel to be invited to partake in something so special and meaningful. But imagine if the invitation just said something like, save the date. No details, no, nothing more than that, no names, no location. You see, the Lord's Prayer is similar. It's a beautiful invitation for each and every one of us where we're invited to spend time with the Father and to grow our relationship with Him. And when the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray, pray, He doesn't leave them hanging. He provides some examples. And as we unpack together the following verses, we will see a model that we can use as we, um, to guide our prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer opens first with an acknowledgement of the relationship between God as Father and us as His children, while still preserving and honouring His name as the creator of the universe. Placing God in His rightful place 
elevating him, praising him. It reminds me not to forget God's holiness and majesty and splendor when I pray. And you know, often when I pray, I'll say, dear Lord, please. And you know, it's so quick to kind of skip the reverence part, skip the praise part, go straight into, dear Jesus. You know, maybe if I'm feeling particularly, um, particularly like I've got more time, I might be like, oh, loving Father. You know, like throw an extra adjective in there. (laughs) But when we come to the Lord, do we come with praise on our lips or do we sometimes skip this part? Psalm 104 says, enter his courts with thanksgiving in your heart, enter his courts with praise. Our next verse, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How often do we take the time to pray for the advancement of God's kingdom? And you know, this is what Liam was saying last week with regard to being salt and light so that people can taste and see Christ through us. Do we actively pray for this? This verse indicates a submission to God's will coming before our own will, to yield. It reminds me of when Monica prays and she says, Lord, have your way, have your way, have your way. And I know that this can be difficult at times. I know at least for myself, I have this you know, desire for my way. And so many times I've prayed and I've been like, Lord, your will be done, but it would be just great if I could find the jeans in my size. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> and you know, while this is you know, a bit of a silly example, in Jesus' example of the Lord's Prayer, He shows us that our first priority is to yield to His way, asking that the Father's kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our next verse, give us this day our daily bread. Note that it says daily bread, not pantry full. Um, in the Old Testament, bread was a common household food that Jews would use to give, well, eat, to give them sustenance. Asking for our basic needs is good and encouraged. However, it is important to note that our daily bread is not just physical. Matthew 4, um, Jesus says that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're to trust God for our daily bread, both physical and spiritual. And you know, this might look something like saying, Father, I need you right now. Please give me wisdom or discernment in this area. You know, again, leaning into this relationship with Him. Verse 12 continues. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Repent. I promise there's a reason for the smuggler razor. (laughs) Asking for forgiveness is not for God. You know, God knows what we've done. It's actually to free us from condemnation and things that we are carrying around and help us enter into freedom. In Old Testament times, the people used to have to bring sacrifices to atone for their sins. So this would look like bringing a lamb with no blemish or turtle doves. But through Jesus Christ, bridging the gap and atoning for our sins, we are again invited into this relationship with Him. There's also this acknowledgement in the second pass here, as we have forgiven our debtors. Easy, right? No. Uh, Forgiveness can be hard. I remember this girl, Jessica. I'm sorry if there's any Jessicas in the room. (laughs) I checked. She, like, doesn't live in Tauranga. Okay. But in all honesty, I was in like year four and she stole my smuggler razor. And I'm mostly over it now. It's been like a decade, 
and a half. <laughs> um, but I don't know about you, forgiveness can be challenging. Okay, and although I've given quite a light-hearted example, there are people carrying much deeper chains of unforgiveness in their hearts. A quote by um, Lewis Smedes says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then realise that that prisoner is you. And you know, that's so true. Jessica is out here living her life. Play doesn't even think about my strawberry-smelling scented hippo. (laughs) And while my example, (laughs) you know, mightn't be the best, in all honesty, unforgiveness is something that chains us and holds us down if we hold on to it. Jesus wants to be in relationship with us, like we talked about before, our Father. And he, holding unforgiveness in our hearts, hearts hinders us from stepping into this with him. Verse 13 continues. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How often do we actively pray against temptation and the attacks from the enemy? In a time where it is more necessary than ever, in a culture with temptation around every corner, at our very fingertips, are we praying for protection over our hearts and minds? Ephesians 6.12 states, For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the spiritual realms. And you know, this is something I've started praying for, um, for my own, in my own life more since reading this verse. And usually for me, it looks something like saying, Lord, please help me be alert to any temptations today. Give me the strength to resist them. Help me protect my heart and mind. And while praying this doesn't mean that I'm instantly exempt from any you know, areas of temptation, it does create a spiritual barrier of protection. And Jesus would not have included this in the Lord's Prayer if it was not important. And it's actually the way that he begins to draw us to a close, to a close praying against the schemes of the evil one. Are we equipped in this area? For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This part of the verse is in some versions and not in others. But either way, declaring the reverence and the power of God is a beautiful way to end our prayers. As you may have noticed throughout the Lord's Prayer, I've been using a little acronym that can help us remember each part. Praise, repent, ask, yield, equip, revere. And if you can take the time to go through all these verses yourself, appraise them through the source of truth, God's Word, I would really encourage you to do so. You know, an acronym doesn't quite do it justice. And I'd like you to remember that the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful model of how to pray, but it is also a radical invitation into relationship. And when we look a bit deeper at every verse, it is pointing us to relationship with the Father. Prayer allows us to really see God in a culture where everything is trying to block Him out. The moments of solitude allow us to experience what He is truly like, so we can see Him in our everyday lives. The Greek word for prayer means to come forward, to come face to face with God. And this is so beautiful, to come face to face with Him. We must remember, yes, there is power in our prayers, but the power lies in our God. There is power in our relationship with Him. 
Pastor Jathani says that Jesus saw prayer as a loving connection between a dependent child and a loving father. And in many Christian communities, language about having a personal relationship with God is often used. It's widely accepted. But the way in which we do this, the independent, the independent and personal practice of prayer is sometimes scarce. Think of what it would be. Think Think of what it would be like if your child or perhaps, you know, your younger sibling or someone you deeply cared about was hurting or excited about something and they wouldn't talk to you. What if they were confused and wouldn't come to you for comfort? And I felt God say to me, Crystal, it breaks my heart when my people do not pray to me. It breaks my heart when my people do not pray to me. His heart breaks for us, for what we miss. And he's there, our Father, just waiting. And he wants to help us bring his kingdom to earth. He wants to give us our daily needs, to release us from our sin and the chains of unforgiveness, to lead us out of temptation and into new life. He wants to be our Father, and He wants us to be His children. And He watches us walking around with anxiety and burdens and hurt. And He's there, and He's saying, come to me. Just come to me. Will we accept this beautiful, radical invitation to commune with our Father? Imagine if we all went home, closed the door, removed the distractions, turned off the phone, and just waited in the presence of our Father. You know, like Rob was saying this morning, and I may not get it right word for word, but a day in his courts is more blessed than a thousand somewhere else. (laughs) Without him, okay? His invitation is always open, and he is always waiting. And he doesn't need a big show. He doesn't need the lights or the shouting. He just wants us. That's it.